Part 3, Section 6 of The Dark Flower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Dark Flower by John Galsworthy, Section 44. She came to them often after that, sometimes alone, twice with Johnny Dromore, sometimes with young Oliver, who, under Sylvia's spell, soon lost his standoff air. And the statuette was begun. Then came spring in earnest, and that real business of life, the racing of horses on the flat, when Johnny Dromore's genius was no longer hampered by the illegitimate risks of jumpin'. He came to dine with them the day before the first new market meeting. He had a soft spot for Sylvia, always saying to Lennon as he went away, Charmin' woman, your wife. She too had a soft spot for him, having fathomed the utter helplessness of this worldling's wisdom, and thinking him pathetic. After he was gone that evening, she said, Ought we to have Nels to stay with us while you're finishing her? She must be very lonely now that her father's so far away. It was like Sylvia to think of that, but would it be pleasure or vexation to have in the house this child with her quaint grown-upness, her confiding ways, and those perdida eyes? In truth, he did not know. She came to them with touching alacrity, very like a dog who left at home when the family goes for a holiday, takes at once to those who make much of it. And she was no trouble, too well accustomed to amuse herself, and always quaint to watch, with their continual changes from child to woman of the world. A new sensation, this of a young creature in the house. Both he and Sylvia had wanted children, without luck. Twice illness had stood in the way. Was it perhaps just that a little lack in her, that lack of poignancy, which had prevented her from becoming a mother? An only child herself, she had no nieces or nephews. Cicely's boys had always been at school, and now were out in the world. Yes, a new sensation, and one in which Lennon's restless feelings seemed to merge and vanish. Outside the hours when Nell sat to him, he purposely saw but little of her, leaving her to nestle under Sylvia's wing. And this she did, as if she never wanted to come out. Thus he preserved his amusement at her quaint warmth and quainter calmness, her aesthetic pleasure in watching her, whose strange half-hypnotized, half-hypnotic gaze had a sort of dreamy and pathetic lovingness, as if she were brimming full of affections that had no outlet. Every morning after sitting, she would stay an hour bent over her own drawing, which made practically no progress, and it would often catch her following his movements with those great eyes of hers, while the sheepdogs would lie perfectly still at her feet, blinking horribly. Such was her attraction. His birds also, a jackdaw and an owl, who had the run of the studio, tolerated her as they tolerated no other female, save the housekeeper. The jackdaw would perch on her and peck her dress, but the owl merely engaged her in comments of mesmeric gazing, which never ended in victory for either. Now that she was with them, Oliver Dromer began to haunt the house, coming at all hours on very transparent excuses. She behaved to him with extreme capriciousness, sometimes hardly speaking, sometimes treating him like a brother and in spite of all his nonchalance, the poor youth would just sit glowering or gazing out his adoration, according to her mood. One of these July evenings, Lennon remembered beyond all others. He had come after a hard day's work, out from his studio into the courtyard garden, 
to smoke a cigarette and feel the sun on his cheek before it sank behind the wall. A piano organ far away was grinding out a waltz, and on a hydrangea tub under the drawing room window, he sat down to listen. Nothing was visible from there, save just the square patch of a quiet blue sky, and one soft plume of smoke from his own kitchen chimney. Nothing audible save that tune and the never-ending street murmur. Twice birds flew across, starlings. It was very peaceful, and his thoughts went floating like the smoke of his cigarette, to meet who knew what other thoughts, for thoughts, no doubt, had little swift lives of their own, desired, found their mates, and lightly blending, set forth offspring. Why not? All things are possible in this wonder house of a world. Even that waltz tune, floating away, would find some melody to wed, and twine with, and produce a fresh chord that might float in turn to catch the hum of a gnat or fly, and breed again. Queer everything sought to entwine with something else. On one of the pinkish blooms of the hydrangea he noted a bee, of all things in this hidden away garden of tiles and gravel, and plants and tubs. The little furry, lonely thing was drowsily clinging there, as if it had forgotten what it had come for, seduced maybe, like himself, from labor by these last rays of the sun. Its wings, close furled, were glistening, its eyes seemed closed, and the piano organ played on, a tune of yearning, wanting, yearning. Then, through the window above his head, he heard Oliver Drummer, a voice one could always tell, pitched high with its slight drawl, pleading, very softly at first, then insistent, imperious, and suddenly Nell's answering voice. I won't, Oliver, I won't, I won't. He rose to go out of earshot, then a door slammed, and he saw her at the window above him, her waist on a level with his head, flushed with her gray eyes ominously bright, her full lips parted, and he said, What is it, Nell? She leaned down and caught his hand. Her touch was fiery hot. He kissed me. I won't let him. I won't kiss him. Through his head went a medley of sayings to soothe children that are hurt, but he felt unsteady, unlike himself, and suddenly she knelt and put her hot forehead against his lips. It was as if she had really been a little child, wanting the place kiss to make it well. End of section 44